0: This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's king of swing fighting, though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untaps in front, untaps holding on. What a win! Untap with the RSN Sandler Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group
1: bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne
2: Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes.
3: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to uh, Cracking the Codes this morning. If you're still in bed and it's your uh, wake-up call to to start wiping the sleep out of your eyes or if you've been up and at them early and looking forward to the show or you're just getting comfortable trying to find a winner at any of the three venues today and uh, uh, joining in, whether it's regularly or for the first time, we welcome you all. As I say, a very good morning to my pals on a 6 a.m. Saturday morning Matthew Stewart, good morning, and M- Simone Fisher, good morning. Morning, Daniel. Simone.
4: Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Dan. Oh, you could almost
5: interpret something into the way. I think I oversaid Dan and undersaid Simone, so I'm not oh. fighting. And then Simone seemed a little bit, a little bit reticent oh. when she mentioned your name, Dan.
4: Oh, please don't need any. <laughs> Have you two been it? fighting again during the week? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. We never fight. Actually,
3: we were both at uh, Melton on Tuesday night, weren't we? She, she was she there. An incident. There? Was there
5: an incident at Melton? Why aren't you two talking?
4: <laughs> no, Dan was up in the caller's box, and I was out on the track. yeah, gee, those what do you do there fast. again, Simone? Well, I've been um working as a barrier attendant, look, just one or two shifts a month, not a lot, but um enough just to you know get my foot in the door with the industry a little bit, um just learn about it actually really enjoy it. I would like to get into the swabbing, which is um, the position that I did apply for. So hopefully that will come up working close with the vets and a little bit more hands-on with the horses. But, you know, sometimes a a trainer or a driver will come up and ask you to hold the horse or put a head check on or take a tongue tie off after the race, just a few little things like that. But just learning as I go. I mean, I'm quite fine with the horses but some of the gear and you know some of those horses have a lot of gear on and I wouldn't even know where to start putting on it on or putting it on or taking it off but you know sometimes you might have to tape something up with that black electrical tape if a bit of gear's is flapping. Um, I did help Karen Manning down in the stables a couple of weeks ago just um, untack a horse after a race and I really like that vibe down there. So, um, ideally, I'll get there, hopefully, and um, do a little bit more with the horses. But, look, it's just, it's, I've got a busy life. It's not like I needed to do it, but I just wanted to get into harness racing a little bit more. And now that we're doing pony trots, it sort of works well. Well,
5: Dan, you're the most powerful man in the history of harness racing. Can't you get Simone a job? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's right. She wants to move up a bit, so...
3: No, it's not moving
4: up a bit at all. Isn't there
5: a vacancy for the CEO at the moment? Isn't Dale Brown moving? There is.
3: There's a few vacancies. He's been swinging doors all over the place um, at Harness Racing Victoria. So uh, Simone, um, uh, you get my vote. What do you reckon, Matt? Well, she says she's good with horses. It's the people that's the issue.
4: I'm not good with people, am I? (laughs) You're okay. Okay. You're okay. There's always. There's always. Speaking of people.
5: There's a segue. Speaking <laughs> of people, the opener had Very Elegant, and I did a piece during the week yeah. about two very co- colourful, controversial racehorse owners in A. Brace who part owns Very Elegant, B. Alan Andres, who owns Alligator Blood, and the reasons why they're polarising and almost bigger than their own horses because of the headlines and so on. I was trying to rack my brains about the other two codes, about huge figures in in those sports historically, and owners and administrators, and Ian McEwen is one that jumps out at me, Dan, who crossed Gallops and Harness. Uh, Mick Lombardo, I'm not sure how... He was a bit more behind the scenes. I'm trying to think of the the biggest figures, Vin Knight, and then work your way down. And then Greyhound Racing as well, Simone. There must be people who people always reflect back and either have a little bit of a laugh or in awe of, or who were just huge and larger than life. I know you don't like questions without notice, but
4: I'm just trying to think. There there are obviously
5: people who... Who come to mind very quickly. Just in the world of greyhound racing, Simone, who are the ones that you think, who are the biggest people who were larger than life, and uh, whether they were owners or, um, of course, uh, you know, there's been some enormous uh, breeders over the years as well?
4: I think Graham Bate jumps to everyone's mind, and um, for whatever reason that is, but back when I got into greyhounds, he was the biggest trainer going around. Paul Wheeler, obviously, mm. um, he passed away. Earlier this year, um, definitely someone that everyone knows and a name. And, and he was a fairly humble sort of a man. Like he wasn't a, an out there type of person, but everyone definitely knew about him. So they're two that jumped to mm. my mind immediately. Definitely. Mm. And
5: Tony Loggett, Lockett was a, a person who was always in the grandstand down the bottom bar at, at, uh, back at uh, Olympic Park back in the day. So there was an era where Plugger was seen at the dogs uh, regularly. Dan, uh, I know Vin Knight. I don't think anyone will get near Vin Knight. Or, and then there was Ian McEwan. Bill Hutchison in the betting ring was a massive yep. figure, you know, big, larger than life, wasn't he, you know?
3: My word, yeah. Well, Ian McEwan really was, uh, with uh, Bernard Saundry, uh, were the most responsible people for getting me to harness racing. Um so, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they played a, a massive role there, but Ian went from uh, Thoroughbred Racing, as Bernard did as well, uh, and Richard King, they all come from the Mini Valley Racing Club, but of course Ian was the one responsible for turning the Cox Plate, I think, into the Cox Plate as we know it today, and then... Uh, uh, was the the person behind the 2000 Inter-Dominion, which I'll still state, regardless of whatever code I've ever called and whatever races I've ever called, and I've called the biggest ones at every code, uh, the most important race I will have ever called for the entirety of my life was that 2000 Inter-Dominion, and, and, uh, and Ian was responsible for that. But uh, he came from New Zealand, um, and he just... He broke the moulds in lots of ways, didn't he? He, he transcended, uh, well, uh, as far as the thoroughbred world was concerned, he, he, he had ideas and probably the inspiration for lots of people today, including a Peter Volandis, I would imagine.
5: No, no doubt. Uh, and I think the big characters, the, you know, f- from a journalistic point of view, they're, they're, they're the people you gravitate to because they're the most interesting people. Yeah. And there's always someone new coming along. Hey, um, speaking of something new coming along... Every year they run the the Memzy Stakes, Dan, which we're running at Caulfield today on this surprisingly balmy day. It's like a it's like an endless scroll of superstars, isn't it? And uh, it is. We thought, well, you and I were chatting during the week. How do we capture this era of um, great Memzy Stakes winners? And I reckon it's sort of the, from Manicato up until about five years ago was almost like this golden era, and it actually all coincides with the the, the bulk of the career of Greg Miles as the broadcaster. So, so many of the stakes stakes we're thinking about were all called by Greg Miles. And uh, guess what we decided to do?
3: Uh, have a chat. Uh, we'll get uh, Greg to have a chat about uh, all those great Memseys, which makes perfect sense to me. We crank, we've cranked him up. Yeah,
5: we've decided to crank up Greg Miles, Simone.
4: Oh, that's good. Good to have a guest like Greg Miles on the show. Um, certainly fits up there very well with some of the guests that we have had. But, Matt, can you just give people like myself who don't know the significance of the Memsey Stakes, just a bit of an insight into it and what races harness in greyhound racing that perhaps it correlates to. Mm,
5: that, interesting, because something that we will talk to Greg about too, Dan, is whether, even though it's a great race with a great honour roll, whether it deserves to be a Group 1, you know?
3: Well, the winners of the race, uh, there's no correlation that when the race become a Group 1, the winners were better, uh, because as a group two, it still had some of the finest winners of all time, didn't it? Yeah. And
5: just because it gathers all these... It's, I'm sort of getting around to answering your, your question, Simone. It's a kick-off race. It's it's the race that, whether you're a really good sprinter, miler, who can win it, or whether you're a big-name stayer who can't win it, but he's moving through on the way to a Cox Plate or Melbourne Cup or Caulfield Cup, it's a, it's a melting pot for some of the biggest-name horses. I don't think that means it should be a group one, because it's a pathway race, so... As far as how it would compare to a great trots race or a great um, uh, greyhound race, greyhound I, I, race. Think, I don't think it does because I think more in harness, Dan, you will get a, a uh, convenient free-for-all that might be run at Melton or back in the day at Mooney Valley that you'll get some great horses in, but it's a pathway to, to a Hunter Cup or Victoria Cup or any Dominion, isn't it? So you can yeah. still get good horses in uh, average races, but it doesn't mean they should elevate the status of the race.
4: Yeah, totally. It's interesting you should bring that up, actually, Matt, because the Nationals are on at Wentworth Park tonight for the distance and the sprint for the Greyhounds. And there has been some questioning in recent years whether the Nationals are still as relevant as they once were, where we used to have heats and finals around every state and then they would... Alternate the the track every year, the state that would host the finals, and that discussion has come up again. Whether with the amount of races that we've got, um, the amount of group ones, and these nationals are group ones. The state money's still at seventy five thousand dollars to the winner. So there's a bit of an argument to and to or for and against as to whether the nationals are as relevant in yeah. this day and age. But for people who are following gallops and greyhounds today. If you're into race-to-race doubles or however the betting goes, you've got I'm Thunderstruck at the Gallops and you've got Days of Thunder at the Greyhound. So if you're into quirky little things like that, you might like to take... I don't even know what the bet's called. I'm not a betting person, but there's something you could do. So um, the two thunders. Simone's Hmm.
5: research has found a nice little link there. And, Dan, sometimes a Group 1 race can have a a weak and uninteresting addition, and sometimes it can have a fascinating addition. And... uh, You got a couple of replays. Uh, I remember Rufus Youngblood and Gay Adam, and I very much remember uh, Master Musician and Franco Tiger for reasons that I'll explain. But um, for good reason, you've found the... uh, Interesting to talk about Bankstown and the Truer Memorial as well and how time moves Mm. on, but why have you plucked these two races for us to have a little uh, reflection on?
3: Well, we played the Red Rum Crisp uh, match race last week, which uh, was finding a gold nugget, you know, nearly 50 years down the track, and I had a couple of people at the harness sort of say, oh, we'd love to, you know, remind us of some of the great races from, from yesteryear, and so I've plucked out a couple. One that was often referred to, and it was a similar time, it came just after the Bone Cross of Waverley Star, was the uh, Rufus Youngblood, who was a wonderful, wonderful horse. He, uh, he was named the, after, uh, the king of the darbys. Named after, um, I want to say something to do with JFK, wasn't it? Was uh,
5: bodyguard. Bodyguard, who,
3: bodyguard, would, who would trot yep.
5: alongside mm-hmm. and hang off the, um, you know, the the thing on the side of those limos that you'd cling yep. onto, the, the rail thing that 4 drives have. Simone, you got four. That's You're a right.
3: farmer. You, you know what I'm talking about, those things, <laughs> running boards.
5: And that was Rufus oh, Youngblood.
3: Right. Yep. Yeah, it okay. was indeed. And, um, he, uh. He had this stoush, the horse, the equine horse. Dick Lee, trainer drove uh, Rufus Youngblood, a legend himself. Uh, probably best known for training trotters, Dick Lee. But uh, Gay Adam, David Aiken uh, had as well. And they put on a Bone Crusher Waverley Star type war. And it was a sensational call from Wayne Wilson. We're going back to 1987. You probably haven't even shaved by that stage of your life uh, Matthew, but let's relive the Queensland Derby.
0: They've got 300 metres to go. This is what we've been waiting for. Gay Adam the inside. Rufus Youngblood the outside. They're locked together. Rufus Youngblood has moved up. He's poked his nose in front. Rufus Youngblood just in front of Gay Adam. They're fighting it out. Rufus Youngblood the outside. Gay Adam kicking again the inside. Rufus Youngblood, Gay Adam. It's going to be a Dead heat between Rufus Youngblood and Gay Adam. They straighted the rest of the field. 15 lengths away, third was Miss Admiral.
3: What a wonderful finish. They were at it right at the very start of the race and then at the very end, and it was a nose decision to Rufus Youngblood, Bat.
5: I remember that so clearly, that race. Um, what sort of a horse was Gay Adam? My reflections are that he was also a superstar.
3: Yeah, he was as a three-year-old, an early part of four-year-old, and then he had a few little problems after that, and probably Rufus Youngblood. He competed in top races, group one races after that, but I think both were at the peak of their powers that night. And, and you know, you've heard it before, Rip Van Winkle's a classic case. They uh, they peak or that sort of run, they're never quite the same. Now, I'm not saying that was the case, but they peak during their three-year-old year.
5: Simone, you, you know as well as I do because you went to Sacred Heart good Catholic girl, nuns, and I went to um, St. Pat's for a year and there was Christian Brothers and Father Glasheen was the local priest, as was Father Bray and Father Steele, and you should never get in a argument with the people of the cloth because they've got support up high. <laughs> and I, Father Glasheen and I, who's a great mate, um, didn't nearly come to blows, but we had a very, very terse argument when I was not 18 or 19 about whether the Truer Memorial the infamous Truer Memorial should have been overturned or not and I can't even remember what view I had I just remember that Glash had the opposite view and this is the race we're referring to
0: Franco Weiss led them into the back. He's a length. We own a warrior. Master musician on the outsides had to do it pretty tough. A length away, Franco Tiger. Three wide, the unicorn on the fence and Eden Supreme. And then Nicholas Brannack followed by Harpo Lord. And then Odd Terato, 400 to go. Franco Ice, Kenny's legs last out. He's about a neck. Master musician. Franco Tiger's coming into it three wide. And then we own a warrior followed by Harpo Lord. On the turn and the New Zealander master musician went past Franco Ice. Franco Tiger's running a great race he's coming at master musician we own a warrior into the clear next but master musician and franco tiger are going to battle it out master musician in front franco tiger they lock wheels they've locked wheels here master musician got going again franco tiger comes at him kira harpo lord late but master musician's just one i think franco tiger's dived at him you'll hear more anyway master musician and franco tiger hit it locked together and kira harpo
5: lord was zooming home and dan franco ice was also in it he was so tell us, tell us why Glash and I were having a crack at each other and tell us what happened ultimately in the courts.
3: Well, the photo went the way of Master Musician. There was a protest on the night which ended up being dismissed uh, and it was followed up through the courts, which took quite a bit of time. Eventually, it was overturned Franco Tiger as the winner, but uh, there might have even been appeals after that as well. It went on for a long time and... Uh, to my knowledge, that had never happened in in any code uh, prior where the race decision was made in a courtroom um, so it was much talked about in one thousand nine hundred and ninety three It was still talked about about three or four years later when it was still going through the, the court system so and it was they were great horses weren 't they and i, I don 't know which side you were on, but when I, watched I would have the been master musician because I was a massive master musician fan. Well, it's hard to work out why the protest wasn't upheld on the night. When you see the vision, Master Musician shifted out, locked wheels with Franco Tiger. You'd have to point the blame at Master Musician. And uh, it stopped Franco Tiger's momentum. And then he lifted again late. He's missed by a pimple. So I I would think, uh, if I was watching it for the first time, I would think there'd be a protest and it would probably be upheld. So, uh, mm. but it took a long time before that decision was made, and would it cost the both connections of both lots and lots and lots of money? A very sore point. Oh yeah, it was. You know, I got nearly got in a fight with a priest, and nothing, no good <laughs> ever comes of that. Hey, um,
4: didn't he baptise your sons as well?
5: That was a different story altogether. I got in a bit late with Max and Ollie uh, after I got knocked back at the church in uh, Cheltenham because the, the priest said, I've never seen you in my flock. And I said, Well,
4: yeah, sit up the back.
5: Fine. He said, Go to Bacchus Marsh where your parents live. <laughs> so we went down yeah, there and. Did. Father I had,
4: Glash did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He, I had yeah. to ply him
5: with a couple of bottles of well just to get it over the line. <laughs> and there was an Italian one, Italian family who was getting their kids baptised in the other aisle, if you know what I mean. You know, it was, it, the church is split down the middle. They knew exactly what was going on. My kids had no idea what was going on. They said, why are we dressed in suits? I said, shut up, we're going to a church, it won't last long. <laughs> and that was that. Because um, at that stage, we were thinking of trying to get him into St. Bede's, and apparently that was a fast-tracking method to get him into St. Bede's. Anyway, that never happened either. So, hey, um, we're going to take a break shortly and uh, and talk to the great legend Greg Miles about the MEMSY, But just before we do, Simone you sent me a, a photo of an enormous spread of food during the week and that was the the offering uh, for the Waterloo Cup semis and the finals tomorrow. So I can only imagine what offering there might be, you know, in the area that Dan and I are interested in, food.
4: Well, they're waiting yeah. for you. You know that they're, they're waiting for you at the coursing tomorrow, Matt. Um, I said, send this to Matt Stewart and this might just get him here and... You know, you're the king of the picnics. You might be the king of the coursing as well. But I think the whole idea was to Mm. just—you could. Mm. I think the idea is just to show you how much fun and laid back and just real grassroots racing that it is coursing. So, and I also wanted to mention um, some great feedback on the interview last week with Jackie Sims. Um, Had a few people message me and say, "My goodness, what a powerful interview and woman and what she's been through and and all that." and And they could genuinely... I don't want to draw too much attention to it, but obviously I will now, but um, the moment that she mentioned that she'd lost her daughter last Mm. year, and none of us were aware of that, and it came across in the interview. They said, we could tell that you were absolutely, um, you know, dumbfounded, basically, because you had no inkling that that was the case. So it was... I I like receiving feedback, because obviously we have a lot of diverse guests and their stories are all very different, and um, to be able to talk to someone about something so personal and that they open up and um, it touches people that listen to the show. I think it's it's really, really nice to get that feedback. We, we do have another guest on this morning too, guys, before we get to Greg, and that is Peter Giles, who was inducted into the Greyhound Racing Hall of Fame last Friday night, so looking forward to a chat with him also.
5: I like receiving feedback, Dan, but only if it's good.
3: Oh, well, that's fair enough, but uh, that's the problem with uh, social media nowadays, that it could fluctuate and it's got nothing to do with people liking what you've done. Um, it's, uh, it's a haven for nuff-nuffs too, but when, generally when people come up to you and they'll want to talk to you, it's, it's rather positive and it's great getting that sort of uh, feedback. And I wonder if we need Kleenex to sponsor our show uh, because we've had a few tears in a couple of recent well, shows, haven't we? I
5: did tell you about the feedback my son received up at the Seven Creeks Hotel up at Yaroa recently, didn't I?
4: You know, did we talk oh, about this? <laughs> yes, have we discussed enough. this on air? I think I yes, have. We have. Right, they, I won't um, go through they, it again. Yeah, didn't life say like it. Matt Stewart guy.
5: Young Max didn't leap into my corner. <laughs> hey uh, guys, we're gonna take a break on cracking the codes and come back with uh, one of the great legends of the game who has the same skill set as Dan Malecki to be able to memorize impossible things and call races and Greg Miles did it amazingly for so many years. And I think one of the great little chapters of his career was the Memsey Stakes era, where Greg was the number one man and the Memsey Stakes was full of champion horses. And we're going to talk to Greg about his reflections after this break.
6: Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher, Cracking the Codes.
5: Guys, the the Mimsy's always been a great race, but I reckon there was a great era within a great race, and I reckon it's about Manicato starting point in '82, and it roars through to, I reckon about Vega Magic Blackheart Bart uh, in the in about 2016, 2017, and in between it's it's just a hall of fame roll off, and uh, Greg. Uh, Miles was Dan called that very era. He started with Silver Bounty in 81 when he had more hair on his head than you've got on your back and that's quite significant (laughs) and then rolled right through to this amazing era. So we thought we'd get Greg on, which is an honour of course as it always is, to reflect back on this amazing era Uh, and he called them all. How are you Greg?
2: Hello Matt, I'm well. Morning to you. Hi Dan, Simone. Nice to be with you. It's um, it's a long time ago Uh, Matt, uh, Silver Bounty and I was a young fellow with a little Mop of hair in those days, so uh, something to reflect on. But it's a million years ago. It feels.
5: Do you feel if you ever see footage of yourself? And I Dan, you because you're a famous race caller, you'll have footage of yourself everywhere. And I've got glimpses. Uh, it's actually depressing <laughs> when you see what you yeah. once were, Simone. You've, you're an eternal beauty, so it doesn't affect you. <laughs> no, but
4: <laughs> no, it does. It does. It's terrible <laughs> looking at yourself, thinking, "Gee, I'm you know, I'll officially be middle aged next year." And where have those last oh, 30 years gone? Yeah, yeah. I don't like it it, went, <laughs> at all.
5: it. it went with all the brain cells. <laughs> hey, um, Greg, <laughs> the Memsie, what is the Memsie to you? We were talking about it earlier, about, you know, it's a group one, but it's a kick-off race at the same time, and the honour roll says, suggests that it's one of the great races, but it has a dual role, doesn't it? It's got a great um, honour roll, but it's merely a launch pad as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, uh, to me it was sort of, this is the start of the spring, you know, you you've, you've tipped into September, although the footy finals are, are still on and the focus is largely on, on that sport. But, you know, for those involved in racing, when the Memsey came around, you knew all the really good horses uh, launched in this race. Many, many won it and then went on to, you know, greater glories. But you knew that the spring was underway when this uh, race rolled around. And, you know, as you said, uh, those great horses, the Manicatos and Rubitons and uh, you know, Sunlines and Maccabi Devs and these sort of horses started their campaigns in this in this race and went on to big glory so it's it's a time when the uh, the goosebumps start to uh, appear on your on you when you when you're at the racetrack
3: yeah it's got the great history hasn't it farlap won it in 1931 but some of the greats of the turf gothic heroic eurythmic Ajax won it three times Lord yeah. won it four times so comic court so twice rising right. fast I, I... I didn't oh, well, see these, that's... but you did, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the ones that you did see, uh, as you mentioned, and this race was a Group 2 until Atlantic Jewel in 2013, but the list of winners was as if it was a Group 1 race before. I think we treated it that way, though, didn't we? Because you just expected those top-line horses to be a part of it, and many of them went on to win uh, Caulfield Cups or Melbourne Cups or Cox Plate. It's got a, got a wonderful record. Uh, It's a pretty special race. It's one that sort of stands out for me too, Uh, Greg. Even as a little kid, from the day that I I got the bad burger and I was sick for two days with food poisoning, and uh, you know, (laughs) as a race caller, you go on and your first uh, Memsey stakes that you call. And in your case, your first was Silver Bounty in 1981, uh, a Caulfield Cup winner, and surely Matacato's got to sit up there with, with one of the greatest horses you've ever seen or called.
2: Oh, absolutely. I was <clears throat> very fortunate that when I started calling uh, the great Kingston town and, and Manicato with the headline axes, you know, the, the best middle distance staying horses and, and sprinters of the era. And uh, yeah, when he won that uh, that uh, Mamsi Stakes in, in 82, there was a horse called Galleon. I said there's another Galleon going around now, but he was a bit touted to uh, give Manicato a bit of a run for his money on that occasion. But the old war horse was always up for a, a, a good fight when. Young upstarts came along, and he was to the four again. He was a beauty, Manicato.
5: Yeah, he was. Uh, Simone, you've got your little Manicato book, and you've done a bit of uh, Manicatoing, and she's putting it up on the Zoom now. And <laughs> um, we've got a replay of this, and then Greg's got his hit list. He's got uh, he's got three that he liked, and Dan, I know you've got a couple as well, and we'll roll through some of these replays. But for Simone, for someone who was, grew up with uh, pooches more than racehorses, what uh, what what has your research told you about Manicato?
4: Oh, it was just interesting, and Greg might even know that there was a change of tactics very late going into the race that um, the hoisteads had got wind a little bit of some ta- tactics of, is it, oh, Cubo and galleon like you mentioned, um, but he was still good enough in the end. And, Greg, when I have read the Manicato book and just the, the story about the horse himself, and I just imagine you look back and feel very fortunate that you were able to call a horse like him, given the story behind him as well.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. That was a, a big thrill to uh, to call him, and I did a lot of television news in those days as well. And to uh, go out to Elbinka Street in Mentone and, and visit him and Scamander at the same time uh, in oh, yeah. in the Hoysted Stables, it was it was fantastic just to be in his presence. He was uh, an awesome uh, an awesome galloper, uh, a horse who kept to himself. He he was a Bit of a a bugger, really, in the the stables, but uh, he he was uh, so brilliant on the racetrack. Uh, It was an absolute thrill to be in his era. Great Gary Willits, of course, in the saddle most of the time and Mel Seckles' famous pink and white striped colours. Very fond memories for me.
4: Did you always take a packet of steamroller mints when you went to see Manicato? Because I know that was what <laughs> he loved to eat. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I
2: left that to Bob. He was in charge of the, the intake of peppermint, see, but
5: he did have a, a sweet tooth for sure. Now, Banker Street, God, that brings back memories. It's my neighbourhood Don't around know. there as yeah. well. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's have a little listen to, as you said, Simone, there was a little bit of a thought about Cubot and Galleon and how did it all played out, and this is how it played out.
0: From the point of the turn, 400 out. Manicato moved up to join. Corbeau is under extreme pressure. Galleon waiting to pounce on the outside. Three links to Lawman, followed by Ben Binger and Al Lorena. In the straight, Manicato took the lead. Galleon, the challenger, on the outside from Corbeau. And Lawman's running on only fairly. At the 200, Willits goes for the whip, but Manicato's finding plenty. He's got a length and a half on Galleon. And Manicato in front. Galleon making another dive then, Lawman. But Manicato's going to hold on and win the Mimsy by three quarters to Galleon. Third
5: home, two lengths away, Law, and Then El Lorena, who made up some ground. For oh, there you go. That was Manicado, And then we rolled through the ex-New Zealander Red Tempo, King Delamere, delightful bell, dazzling duke. The one I want to kind of just have a quick chat about before we keep rolling through the replays. Guys, and Greg, uh, is Rubiton, who I reckon it was the first horse I seriously had a crush on. Um, beautiful Greg, wasn't he? And he sprinted with the best sprinters, and then he went on to win a Cox Plate, and he nearly did a... Cl- everyone's talking about Cananamo, clean sweep it up to the Cox Plate, and he nearly did Rubiton uh, in this particular year, didn't he, where he only lost yeah. one race in in, the, in between and then got back on track, but he's not a Hall of Fame superstar, but he's just a peg below Rubiton, isn't he?
2: Yeah, in his era though, he was absolutely outstanding, wasn't he? He'd, he'd won the Manicado in the lead up to the Mems, I think he beat special in that, and she was a darn good sprinter, and you're right, this has been the, the launching pad where you see horses and they they repeat in the same races, you know, the Memphi the Fee and the Underwood, Corfield Stakes, which is a race he sort of got beaten in controversially, as I remember, and then he won the Cox Plate. Mm-hmm. So it was the start of the best patch of form in his career, for sure.
3: Drought beat him. Drought and fair sir. A big upset. I remember that day, Greg, because there was more protests on that day than I can ever recall on a race track in the Turak handicap and particularly uh, in the Caulfield Guineas, the year that uh, our poetic prince somehow, <laughs> somehow had the race taken off him. That was the day that, <laughs> that Rubiton got yeah. beaten. Hey,
5: and Greg, there was also um, a lovely little chapter where Pat Barnes didn't know what to do because after that defeat to get him back on track for the Cox Plate and he needed to freshen him up and he took him down to George Hanlon's. Yeah, that's right. to roll over the hills for a few days to, to freshen up and then he won the Cox Plate.
2: Yeah, I think he'd over he'd overtrained a bit leading into that Caulfield Stakes. I don't think Harry White often rode him in track work, but he gave him a little gave him a little fill up in the lead up to the Caulfield Stakes, and he was a bit flat after that. And uh, that was the reason he got beaten.
5: Absolutely, Rancho Ruler struck an amazing vein of form for a while, and that was part of him. I remember the year he won. Bob Hawke was at the races. I remember being there and Bob Hawke walked past me and said, ah, "Great horse that, great horse." <laughs> uh murder Jazz, the Phantom, Greg, just give us reflections of two horses for you because they were back to back, Redelva and Naturalism.
2: Oh, he was a beauty, Redelva wasn't he, you know? Um, not not uh, expected to be the champion that he was, but every time he went to the races, he was a beauty and he beat a good field that that year and Manners and ran in it from memory and quite a few other good horses, but um uh, with Nifty Wilson regularly in the saddle. I'm not sure if he rode him in the Mimsy that year, but uh, he was a cracker. Well, and naturalism was just a superstar, absolute superstar.
5: Absolutely. Then we go a little bit of action of Palace Rain, Bundy Lad, Island Morn. And Dan, you've got some lovely reflections on Saboon.
3: Well, Saboon came from the Riverina up around uh, Daniliquin Way, and I remember in my. Uh, younger days, I, I, I was still calling in some of the uh, country riverine areas, uh, Berrigan, and I filled in one particular day, um, and I called Saboom winning, I reckon it was, they had the improvers back then, of course we got the class system, but he won an improvers at, uh, at Daniloquin, Greg, and you would have called him winning two Memsies, 1996 and 1999, he had a, a long career, um, but he wanted a lot of tracks, and he was a wonderful horse, and he loved wet ground.
5: Mm, absolutely. Hey, um, Simone. You, you know, not embedded as we are with races, but there's a mare that um, everyone knew at the time, um, and her name was Sunline. We're gonna have a listen to her when I think it's the. Is it o o Craigie o one? This is 01. Uh, this is Sunline
1: as they come to the corner and Charles has got away from the rail and he's out after this leader on Sunline. Desert's guy in front Sunline challenges him as they come around the home turn and they've raced away to Mastic, Sir Boom and then Piavonic on the outside but the Great Mayor's taken the lead. Sunline at the 200 metre mark. Charles gave her a slap with the whip she got away a couple of lengths in front but she's near the inside and Piavonic and Rama's running a huge race. Sunline is clear though near the line and the champion Mayor, the Queen of the Turf is back on her throne tonight. Sunline one at a length and a half to Piavonic and Rum. And they're followed by Mastic. and behind
4: these to finish... A that we all remember. And I do have a funny story about Greg Childs. And, Matt, we will get him on the show one day and we will talk about that um, funny story, my encounter with Greg Childs. Oh, hang but, on. Um, is it,
5: is it um, fit for 6am on a Saturday morning? Oh, absolutely.
4: Morning? Right. Yeah, it is. It is. It's um, one of those moments where you, you don't think you're actually talking to the person, but Did you are. Did he come are, into so. the saddlery
5: shop one day?
4: No, I was on the phone to him one day, and I said, "Oh, is this Greg Childs, the jockey?" <laughs> <And> he, <laughs> he said, "Yeah, that's me, Sunline, and all the rest of it." So, um, yeah, we will have him on the show, and we'll talk about that. But she was a champion we'll talk mare. Talk to Greg wasn't about she? his she, stalker. Yeah, yeah, certainly a champion mare, <laughs> Greg, a Greg, name that we all are all familiar with.
5: Oh, totally, Greg. Did you ever think yeah. with Sunline that within a decade and a bit, or whatever it was, that we'd we'd have three mares, maybe four, if you want to. Think about Atlantic Jewel, who we'll talk about. Did you ever imagine, after Sunline, that we'd have a MacAvery diva, a black caviar, and a Winx, who would relegate her down the conversation so quickly?
2: No, no, not at all. I mean, she was just outstanding. Sunline, wasn't she? She, she just kept winning and winning and winning. And uh, no, you wouldn't have thought you'd have the the likes of those mares coming along so so quickly after her. But um, uh, that that particular memji, I remember she. Just gone off, not really off the boil, but she hadn't won for a little while. She, I think she went in with about three losses in a row and she'd been beaten by Pia Vonick, who ran second to her in that race in the Manicato first up. So, you know, to get back on her throne, as I called it, in that race, uh, she was odds-on and, and expected to do so. But she uh, she just had to get out there and, and do it again. And that was the year, of course, she went on and uh, ran second in the Cox Plate with uh, northerly in that controversial uh, uh, finish with protests all over the place.
3: Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a theme with some of the horses we've been talking about today. The prote- I even remember the Manicado, uh, Manic- uh, Caulfield Guineas with Caraman, the stouses they used to have in the protests. Greg, um, when Sunline won that race, I remember listening to your call, and I'm sure I've mentioned it before, not just to you, but also on air. Uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Isabella, was coming into the world at that very moment, I honestly... Uh, I think your voice of... uh, I was nearly going to call her Pia. If Pia Vonic had a one, I was going to call her Pia. Um, And it was very much that moment. Why didn't
5: you call her Sunline?
3: Well, uh, mum, mum had (laughs) something to do with that, and uh, Isabella's her name, and uh, I thought that was rather appropriate. But her her username or moniker—what did they used to have back then when they were little? MySpace, you know, all that sort of stuff. She was known as Sunline. She adopted Sunline as as her name. Mm, There you go. Goes back to that day. Hey, um, magical miss
5: Zagaletta, This is through the early two thousands. Regal Roller. We've had a good chat to Clinton McDonald. uh, This is obviously a standout. uh, This one, Greg, we'll have a listen to this and then we'll reflect on the whole enormity of the story of this horse.
1: Last Maccabi Diva, Regal Roller's had it cheap, 400 left to go. This is his moment, is he back? He corners a nick in front, Super Elegant comes out after him strongly, issues the big threat, they corner now, Regal Roller right against the fence, Super Elegant coming at him, they've got away to La Zagaletta. Renewable is running on, and down the outside Maccabi Diva, Regal Roller has his kick today, he's out by two and a half now, barely a moment, here comes Maccabi Diva, Regal Roller in front, Maccabi's mowing him down, the Queen of Australian Racing wins. McCarvey Diva has got there. Magnificent in beating.
5: She's you nearly early crowd regal roller there at the two hundred, Greg, didn't you? Uh, it... I
1: just call it as I see it,
2: man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that was awesome, wasn't it? She was. Yeah. I don't think she ever won first up except for that. That, that. That's the start of her final preparation, of course. And she'd been beaten in Japan, so there was some question marks there. And uh, wow. Was she back all right? And then, as we all know the story, she went bang, 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 and won four of her last five starts and, and the Melbourne Cup and off to start. So it was it was the beginning of one heck of a reign for her.
5: El Segundo, Miss Finland. And I think 2008 represents a horse who I think has fallen through the cracks of history a little bit, and then you look at yeah. what he yeah. did. Let's have a listen, and then it's weird how some champions do fall through the cracks. Weekend Hustler?
1: Weekend Hustler, he's got into clear galloping room now. Peels to the outside. Maldivian led scenic blast. Weekend Hustler, he's hit the go button now. He's starting to wind up. Had to go for the whip. Still Maldivian with 200 to go in front. Weekend Hustler coming after him and Pompey Ruler descending late. Weekend Hustler getting to Maldivian and then Pompey Ruler. It'll be close, but Weekend Hustler wanted a long hit on the line to Maldivian and Pompei Ruler a cracking run first up.
3: Alamo's any one of those three horses across the line there would have been worthy winners of a, of a Memsey Stakes. Um, weekend Hustler, though, it's amazing to think... You know, I think of him as a sprinter miler, but at one stage he was favoured for the Caulfield and Melbourne Cup.
2: Yeah, he was Mr Versatile, wasn't he? You know, he won a guineas and an oakley plate in the Newmarket as a new market as a three-year-old, and uh, this we we're talking about horses starting their, uh, their big spring runs in this race, and that was him, wasn't it? I think he went he won a couple of races after that. He'd beaten the list in the Liston, but uh, he won a Maccabi Dever and he won the Underwood Stakes, and yeah, uh, it was a string of victories, and that was a period of time when uh, Ross McDonald was urging people to have a house on him and get another house, wasn't
5: it? Do, do you think, when you reflect back, Greg, I, I, we were talking about it earlier in the show about enormous figures, like not horses, but the human beings, you remember, and sometimes those owners that Breeze through and cause a great impact. I was written a story about Brace Sikolsky and Alan Endres for for you know different reasons, but the Jeff Perrys, the Dick Monahans, the Gary Robertses, and there must be some that you just you you, you sort of chuckle to yourself when you remember some of these bombastic figures who who came along because the right horse came along.
2: Yeah, well, Ross McDonnell was a, a yes a fantastic figure in that uh, period of time, of course, and yeah, great stuff.
5: We might flick through So You Think, and I just want to get to one uh, in 2013 because I think it was the spontaneous description you had of Atlantic Jewel was just so perfect. Let's have a listen to, to Atlantic Jewel.
1: Coming around the turn it's Ajeeb Happy Trails and at Atlantic Jewel. She's gone up to join them on the outside. Rod sitting pretty quietly and is about to let her go into the straight. Ajeeb kicked. He's drawn three quarters clear. Here's Atlantic Jewel. She's let down at the 200 like it was only yesterday that we saw her. She's sprinted away now and it's all over. Atlantic Jewel race three links from Ajeeb Happy Trails Furlac super cool coming home but welcome back darling. Atlantic Jewel by 3 up by the or super cool for the so, Greg,
5: uh, you just chose the perfect description of her as a darling.
1: Yeah, well,
2: I don't know where that came from because I hadn't really prepared that. I didn't, but everyone loved her and I guess that was it, you know. It was sort of welcome back, darling, because she'd been out for, oh, I don't know, it was a couple of years or something, wasn't it? She was so injury prone and uh, to have her back was just, just fantastic. And she was we're talking about forgotten champions. And there she, I think she only ever got beaten once. Uh, she was an absolute superstar. Maybe longevity uh, robs her of being recognised in the, in the pantheon of the great champion mares, but only having 11 stars. But she was a superstar, no doubt about that. She reminds
5: me of, I've got an obsession with an American mare called Ruffian, who, uh, if you haven't seen it, Greg, there's a 23-minute documentary on YouTube on Ruffian about the great match race with foolish pleasure and it ended really badly for Ruffian, but she had this short, sharp career that once beaten and only because it was a two-horse race where she broke down. But Lannick Jewell was a similar flash in the pan. Who that Lucian Lauren, who trained Secretariat, always said that he never thought Secretariat could have beaten Ruffian, who came along about two or three years later. And Lannick Jewell, um, you know, how would she have gone against the great mares? Because I, I remember and I reckon you probably agree when she was at her peak I I don't care who was before or after her, none of these mares could have beaten her on those particular days
2: yeah or well, she was possessed of an unbelievable turn of foot that was what stood her apart I think she just had a fantastic change up speed she could gallop quickly and then and then sprint uh, which was just dynamic and fantastic and she I think uh, I read somewhere recently that she actually ended up uh, dying giving foal a couple of years ago too. So it was a sad, sad demise for Atlantic Jewel. No,
5: exactly right. And she did have one who was a Derby trial winner in England who, I can't remember the name of it, I should. It went on to become a very... It, it won one of the big group ones in Hong Kong last season. Russian something, I think it was called. Uh, it was out of uh, Atlantic Jewel. So there you go. Yeah. Something might, might have been by Camelot. Anyway. Hey, Greg, um... Are you going to head off to the Heath today?
2: Uh, it's, on my, it's on my bucket list to do today. It's a very good chance I'll be out there. and you know, This is a time of the year when the good horses are back. It looks a terrific field this year, so just to go out and, and see the champs go around, try and keep me away.
5: Hey, uh, thanks for uh, joining our little chat. It's been a lovely little... I don't think there's a 15-year a period of any race that I could think of that had more talking points than the ones we've discussed this morning.
2: Yeah, well, you've uh, woken up a few old grey uh, cells in the, in, the, in the grey metal this morning, so it's nice, nice to uh, have a chat about them again.
5: We're, we're here to help.
2: <laughs> I'll talk to you next week then.
5: <laughs> talk to you tomorrow. It might be a daily. Good on you, Greg. Uh,
2: helpful. <laughs> Pleasure to be with you guys.
6: Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the Codes.
4: And our next guest this morning is certainly worthy of being considered in in elite company, and that is Peter Giles, Greyhound trainer, who was inducted into the Greyhound Racing Hall of Fame last week. And he joins us this morning on Cracking the Codes. Good morning, Peter. Good
6: morning, Simone.
4: Gee, when you you receive an award like that or you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, you really can't get any higher accolade and um, you must look back at your life in greyhound racing and it must give you just a sense of pride and satisfaction and um, you must be absolutely thrilled at being recognised at this level.
6: Yes, Simone, we were. It was an absolute honour. As a matter of fact, uh, my mother kept... Uh, clippings from all the uh, races when she was alive and I went back and I got hold of the books and uh, it it was amazing the number of races that we did win and how your mind forgets what's happened in the past.
3: It's called getting older, Pete.
6: Yes, that's right, Danny. Um, But yes, we certainly had a You know, we just had a very good run with the dogs. Um, We were very lucky to win an award like that. It's not a one-man job. We had uh, my family never stop working. And uh, the people we had helping were all friends and uh, we're very grateful for what they did.
3: Pete, um you uh, you trained uh, some winners for me. It was the best greyhound I ever had. You trained for me, uh, but not just for me. There was a group of us. We had Rational Miss, and um, you know we've had a, a a really strong friendship since then. But also the connection you had with Arthur Cooper through uh, those early days, Rational Miss, and what uh, you and Arthur were able to achieve with uh, all the flood greyhounds. Yes, uh, we
6: started off with Floodgate. And she was a wonderful producer. Um, Yeah, many, many winners she had. And then one of her daughters' flood form went on. Um, And we had a a long-term period of time with Arthur. Um, And it was a very successful period. Peter,
5: I'm always fascinated, and I... I ask this question a lot of uh, some of our older guests Uh, do you think, how do you compare the greyhounds of today to the greyhounds of yesterday for durability um, strength, class, speed you know, the Welshies fast versus some of the great flood greyhounds you had, are they the same or are they different?
6: Um I guess we were fairly tough on the dogs they worked very hard because we raced them fairly often um but I don't know. I guess the times are getting quicker all the time, so the dogs are still performing like they used to. Um, I haven't had very much to do with the dogs other than watch them on the TV over the last three or four years. Um, but I think the dogs are tougher in our day.
4: Peter, you dominated in the 90s, uh, dominated the racing scene with sprinters and particularly stayers. Um, I think you went for every race interstate that you possibly could. You made some wonderful friends. They're always happy to put you up and and have the dogs in kennels when you travelled as well. So like you mentioned before it it takes a village doesn't it to win an award like this?
6: Yes, look, we were very fortunate. We used to receive a lot of interstate stayers and uh, we didn't do anything different, but uh, we just had a lot of runs with stayers. And uh, I had a very good friend in Carolyn Jones who was with me for probably 30 or 40 years. And uh, we used to chase all the big races, wherever they were, uh, we'd be off to, And of course in all those states, we had somewhere to stay, um, mainly other trainers, but yeah, it was, we were very, very fortunate.
5: The prize money now, which is going to turn Wow well, She's Fast into a $2 million earner within the next six months, Peter, uh, imagine, uh, would things have been different had, uh, today's prize money been around in the 1990s? Oh, I would
6: have loved it to have been around in the late <laughs> 20s, um. Yes, yeah, so look, the money in racing now is so good. Um, I mean, we thought it was good when we were in it, and it was good towards the finish. But now state money's just snowballed, you know, t- terrific. I'd love to be running around with a team of dogs.
3: Pete, um... He had some great dogs, and it's probably even hard to, to collectively come up with which was your best. But there was one moment, in a way, I shared with you that's got to be right up there, and that was the night, and we've talked about it before, the night that City Blitz won the, the Melbourne Cup, because um, in the run it didn't look like he was going to get within QE and it was just this incredible jet-propelled finish to see him uh, win the race. You watched the the race in the box with me. And you looked at me as they went over the line, and I looked at you, and you, you you just couldn't believe it that he'd actually been able to get up.
6: No, it was a wonderful feeling, and I can tell you it was very hard not to have a yell when they went over the line, but, uh, it, you know, it was a great run. Um, we didn't... I guess we didn't really expect him to to do as well as he did because he'd come back from an injury and uh, he was eligible for the Melbourne Cup. so it was one of the races we put him in.
4: Well, let's take a listen to it, Peter.
1: Racing Near the outside, Murnavell Prince a little bit slower to begin away very fast. of Bev going quickly, Honcho Wiz. And then Railway Road as they go into the first corner now. And getting up on the inside to take the lead here. Honcho Wiz raced away, five in front. Bahama in second, going around the outsiders. Tenthill Doll. Then City Blitz followed further back by Railway Road. Murnavell Prince along gap to Besterbev and Rapid Hiker. Up to the corner. Honcho Wiz the leader, two in front. Tenthill Doll's coming quickly. Tenthill the inside. Honcho Wiz flying home. City Blitz. City Blitz has got a to win the Cup, City Blitz first, ten Hill second, Honcho was third, a barnstorming run by the winner, then Railway Road, followed full back by Bahama Rimmage, then came Mooneville Prince and Rapid Hiker, one of the last in.
4: Peter, when you listen to the dogs going across the line in that race, Tentil Hill Rapid Hiker, Moone Prince, they're as good as what you would have lined up in a Melbourne Cup field today. But we're just before we let you go, Peter, we'll just run through a few of the greyhounds that you have had over the years that some of our listeners will remember. And Ashley Janine, Sergeant Major, Puzzle Prize, who won a number of country cups. Of course, Floodgate, who's in the Hall of Fame herself, and her daughter Floodfawn. Then City Blitz, who was a 1995 Greyhound of the Year. So there's a, a royal pedigree throughout you and the Greyhounds as well, Peter. And, of course, your wife Janine and son and daughter Michael and Lauren and the grandchildren, everyone that's helped. It's certainly... The pedigree throughout the greyhounds and yourselves that's um stood the test of time and seen you honoured with such a a wonderful achievement being inducted into the hall of fame
6: thanks very much Simone.
4: it's been great having you on peter and we really thank you for your time and hope this has all given you a little bit of a, a lift i know you're not out there doing the dogs like you used to but um hopefully you know just being remembered and honored can give you that little bit of a spring in your step and. Guys, that brings us to the end of another show. Um, two terrific guests, of course, and um, the Memsey Stakes today, the Nationals tonight at Wentworth Park. Looking forward to that. And, of course, we start getting into the Spring Racing Carnival and the Greyhounds before too long as well.
3: And the Grand National Steeplechase tomorrow at uh, Ballarat. So it's a big weekend. Absolutely. All
5: right. See you at 10, Dan, and we'll see you next week, Simone. Great show.
4: You will.